If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 this morning. Thank you again, worship team, for reflecting those songs. I appreciate the rich truths in those songs and just making me reflect upon God's faithfulness in the midst of trials and how he is our cornerstone, our, our refuge, our strength, uh, that he is the one whom our trust is in in the midst of all trials and tribulations of life. And, and many of us uh, you live long in this world, you, you live enough time, you know that this world is full of trials and tribulations. And uh, we who name the name of Christ uh, understand the, the blessedness and the joy of, of knowing Christ as our Savior, for he really is that strength. He's that rock and stronghold in the midst of trials. So um, wonderful truths and songs. And let's pray that even as we, that would continue to guide us as we go into a, a section of James that talks about the believer's response to trials. The believer's response to trials. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. We began last week with the introduction to James. This week we, we look to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he writes these words, and I'll Read for us out loud while you can read in your scriptures. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. As you can see from the scripture reading this morning, uh, that we are going to be studying the nature of trials when we encounter various trials. And I trust that this will be something that will speak to all of us and there will be encouragement to you as because I know that we all go through various trials in our life. But before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Father in heaven, we thank you for this scripture passage. Lord, may you use this word to minister to us this morning. In this room, there are those who are going through urgent and critical trials even right now. Father, in this room, we are, there are there is not a single soul who does not encounter trials in life. As those who have named the name of Christ, those who have faith in our Lord Jesus, Father, we know that trials are not just, to leave, are not just that which we have to endure or, or bear with in this life. But Father, as we read in this morning, there are sources, circumstances in which we can by faith, find joy in them. That we can see the, the good that you are doing in and through them for those who love you. That we can see more of you. That we can see how you are at work in our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would cause your word to go forth now. Minister to each one wherever they are at, Lord. As a church, we pray that you would use these words to equip us so that not only we would be able to respond rightly to trials, but that we would know how to encourage one another, encourage others in the body of Christ that may be going through their trials as well. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Many of us, as we live life in, the, in church, we practice life in church, there are going to be times when people will come alongside, and our brothers and sisters, and they'll share with us 
uh, the trials that they're going through. Oftentimes, it's shared in the context of prayer requests. They say, oh, please pray for me. Uh, I'm going through this or going through this trial or that trial. And maybe you yourself have done the same thing. As you face a trial, you, want, you need prayer. You realize that you need help. You, know, you lack wisdom. And you ask your fellow brothers or sisters in, in the context of a fellowship group, a, a small group, maybe one-on-one, or even a large church, church setting. You might share of the trials that you're going through. And that, just as a matter of wisdom, a matter of pastoral wisdom, I, I'd like to encourage the body of Christ this morning with two things that you ought not to say first when someone shares with you their trials. There's all sorts of things you can share, and sometimes we don't know what to say when someone shares a trial with us, especially if it's a, if it's a huge and really heavy kind of trial. But there are two things that I, I would say are, they're not wrong necessarily to say. They're biblical truths, in fact. They're, they're, they might be true, but they're just not the right thing to say first, okay? And so, please, and it's just a matter of wisdom that I say this. The, this is not the sermon, by the way. It's just an introduction. Number one, when someone shares with you a trial or a heavy burden that's upon their heart, number one thing not to say to them is, oh, it's not that bad. You heard that one? Yeah. Oh, it's not that bad. Or, oh, it's not as bad as, and then fill in the blank of that thing that which is worse, right? So, oh, at least you're not, you know, in, uh, caught by terrorists. You know, or, oh, it's not at least you, you, you were murdered, you know. Oh, it's not as bad as, you know, whatever. They'll just take out the, so, you know, oh, you scraped your knee. Oh, well, at least you didn't scrape your head and you're bleeding. You know, get on me. I'm being a little over, you know, you know obvious. But we tend to say things like that. Oh, it's not that bad. And what do we do by doing that? We, it, it might be true, right? It may be true. That may actually be true. You scrape your knee and you're crying, you know, all, you're, you know bawling all the floor. Yes, it is not that bad compared to so many other things in this world. That's true. But that's not the first thing you say to your child, right? Because they're crying. They're hurting. What should you do? You go pick them up. You comfort them, maybe. Well, maybe you don't. You encourage them. Okay, some of you guys just like, get over it. But (laughs) you want to comfort them. You cry. And the reason, when people share with us their burdens and trials, they're like that crying child. They're saying, I'm hurting. This is a heavy burden for me. I can't bear it. They don't want you to say, oh, it's not that bad. It diminishes their burden. Yes, it's true. You may be right, but it's not the right thing to say first. Don't say, well, it's not that bad, or it's not as bad as this. We want the person sharing the burden wants to know that you understand their pain, that you understand their burden. That you, and that you would share and have sympathy with them, or empathy if possible. Yes, that it is bad for them in their circumstances. And it's good to acknowledge that. Oh, I'm sorry that you're, that you're going through such a difficult time. It must be really difficult for you. The number two thing to not say, not to say first at least, when someone shares with you a burden or a trial it's simply, it's, it's kind of a general thing. It's that simply to offer a suggestion. Oh, we're all good at offering suggestions. And by the way, I'm saying all these things because I've been guilty of them myself, okay? So I know you, you most likely you've been guilty of them as well. Because when someone shares a burden with you, the first thing you should not say is, well, well, this is what you should do. Or another more gently saying, have you tried this? You know, I know 
um, when I was, uh, when my wife and I were dealing with infertility and I would share that with somebody, you know, a lot of people would tell me, well, have you tried IVF? Have you tried seeing a doctor? You know, I can Google too. <laughs> you know, it's well-meaning. But it's, it comes across as it, it's somewhat, you know what it does is it insults the intelligence. It calls into question the intelligence the person is sharing with you. If they're not really asking, hey, am I smart or dumb? They're asking, they're, ju- they're not even asking questions. They're just saying, I have a burden. Can you understand? And when we offer a solution, yes, you actually might have the solution. And that's great if you can eventually, you know, you, want, you might want to share that with them. But perhaps a wiser way to do it, if you are wise, you have the solution, you know, especially if it's something you've gone through yourself and, you, and you've gone and you've like, oh, man, I know exactly what this person needs. Then you could say something like that, well, oh, I'm sorry, you know, not first acknowledge the pain. I'm sorry that, that you're going through that. It must acknowledge that it must be real difficult. Or I will use kind of repeat their words. It must, it, it must be real challenging for you. I, I can, you know, maybe you might have a similar experience. I've, I've felt that way at times, too. But then the question you would ask, the first thing you should ask, so what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? How are you dealing with it? What do you think you'll, what are some ideas that you have that you've looked into? Just ask them. You know, if they're ready to share, they may say, well, they might tell you things they've done. Or they might just simply say, and here's your opening, I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? Damn, we're going to tell them. Give me your suggestion. Give them everything you want, you know. Well, you know, gently. Why am I saying all this? It's because, <laughs> well, it's because I've been married for many years. Um, <laughs> and it's wisdom. Uh, it's wisdom. It will make you a better, by knowing these, just being aware of these things makes you a better, a per, more caring person. Makes you realize that when people talk to you about their trials, they don't necessarily want a solution. They don't necessarily are, want you to uh, tell them that it's not that bad, but to simply sympathize, empathize with them, to care for them, to show that I understand what you're going through. Just to understand, this, this is really just communication one-on-one stuff. And the reason I say all this is because today's passage about tells us really clearly, consider it all joy when you encounter trials. And I don't want you to use this verse in the manner of these two, you know, dangerous ways, right? The ways not to say. I don't want, when someone shares with you a trial, you say, well, you know, that's difficult. Consider it all joy. That doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. It is truth, and you should speak truth. And maybe God would open a door for you to speak that truth. But a lot of times when we start off and say, see, you, know, hey, you shouldn't be sad. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's what you should do. It comes across as unless you have a really good relationship with that person, they know you love them, you, they know you care for them, it often just, instead of giving grace, as Ephesians 4.29 talks about how words should give grace, really what happens is you, you end up being receiving grace because that person's going to bear with that. And they're going to let you slide because though they were hurt by your words, uh, you really didn't help them by saying what you said. It's not important to understand uh, just kind of, or just kind of why I say these things is because this morning's passage and, in fact, the next several passages are talk about trials. And we'll be tempted to just simply use them as a kind of like a, uh, as a solution for everyone's trials. And it is that. But it's meant to be what I, in the first service, I used the word a salve. Oh, let's, let's put it up. It meant to be a salve. Well, those of you who don't know what a salve is, it's like tiger balm, okay? Tiger balm. 
It's meant to be applied gently on your skin, smooth, not like that, not like that, you know. It's not to be slapped across someone's face. Here, consider all joy. No. God's word says that you can consider it all joy, that you can find joy in the midst of your trials. You see, there's a difference. I know some of you are not kind of those people. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a sensitive guy. At least I wasn't when I, you know, when I first got married. But I think, but I, the more people that we come across that go through pains or the more you change and sorrows you go through, God who comforts us teaches us how to be more sensitive, more caring of others, and to be more compassionate. So I haven't said this, you know, you can, you know, hopefully you just take it as a pastoral wisdom. But understand that this passage is meant to be a salve applied to your soul. It's meant for us who are going through trials. It's speaking to you as you go through your variety of trials, that you would count it all, pure trials, all joy. And by the grace of God, you, God may use you to encourage others with this truth as well in an appropriate manner. Maybe not the first thing. But at least, but God may open that door for you to say these truths to others. So, let's, so when we look then into James this, uh, this month, we already looked at James last week, the introduction, and what the theme is of this letter is. It's about faith that works. That all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, it's more than just something in our head. It's more than something in our soul, inside of us. That faith is something that must work out in our life. It, has a, it affects change in our inner being. It affects change in the life that we live. Faith is a, genuine faith is going to be a faith that works in our lives. And here in chapters 1, verse 2 through 18, James then begins to describe how faith works out by persevering in the face of trials. A lot of times when we have trials, we either will, we can, if it's strong enough, we can crumble in those trials. We want to run away from trials. But faith in Jesus Christ will strengthen us to persevere in trials, to endure in trials. And we'll find that that is actually a good thing for us in the midst of trials. Particularly, we can, we'll divide this passage into four different subjects, uh, four different subsections. And today we're going to look at how faith finds joy in trials. The faith finds joy in trials. For the one who has faith in Jesus Christ, in the midst of the various trials that we face in life, we can find faith, we can find joy in those trials because faith works in us. And so as an outline for us today, we're going to look at three observations, a simple outline, three observations about the believer's joy in the midst of trials. James tells us we, we, we should consider it all joy. Let's look at this aspect of joy in the midst of trials. What does it look like? What, does it, or what can we understand about it? First of all, number one, we learn from verse two, the command for joy in trials. This is actually commanded of us. This is not just a suggestion, actually. This is a command. Remember James, uh, last week we talked about how James has a lot of commands. 3% of this book are commands. 3% of all the words are commands. So that's quite significant, more than most other, all other New Testament books. Of the, is in the percentage of, of the number, uh, the, uh, the percentage of commands within the book. So we begin reading in verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We know three things about this verse. First of all, we note that joy in the midst of trials is actually God's blessing for believers. It's a blessing for believers. 
It's for believers specifically. If you're an unbeliever, it is not God's blessing. It, well, he, God could use it to be a blessing, but the scripture tells us that this is a, trials are a, turned to be a blessing for believers. Trials generally are considered curses, right? Trials are not a good thing. I don't wish for you to go through trials. I don't wish for you to lose a loved one. I don't wish for you to get sick. I don't wish for you to, to lose your job. I don't wish for you to have conflicts with others. We don't need to wish for those things. They are generally bad, considered bad things, evil things, that are part of living in a fallen world. But yet, in some mysterious way, which we'll find out, trials for the believer somehow become a source of joy. There's a source of joy for, bre- for believers. That's why um, James here writes, my brethren, consider a joy, all joy my brethren. We looked at this last week. The, the brethren are those who are those who have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It is those who, according to Jesus, do the will of my Father. And so even as we see this word, brethren, we're reminded that we are, as we go through trials, we are to seek out God's will in the midst of trials. And one of those will, one of the will of God, one of the commands or wills of God for us in the midst of trials is to consider it all joy. We are to consider trial, encountering various trials as all joy, completely joy. That even though it might be bad, that we can count it or consider it as something that is a joyful thing. James is not one who is uh, is not writing us from an ivory tower who didn't know trials. You know how someone who doesn't know any trials and now gone through any trials as you, then kind of comes and gives you some, you know, pithy stain, maybe they just quote a Bible verse. Oh, did I just say that? Oh, yeah. Sometimes the most insensitive thing to say is just to, here, here's the reverse. That's what you should do. Before you, they know that maybe you've established that relationship of love with them. It's not wrong to say that. Next time, see what happens when someone does it to you. James is not insensitive, though. He's writing as one who has gone through trials. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Remember what happened to the church in Jerusalem? The church in Jerusalem overnight grew from 12 to um, probably like 40, 50 to 3,000. And you can imagine all the challenges of a church of 3,000. People, 3,000 people. I have three, or we have 300 people in this church. Uh, there's no insignificant amount of trouble and challenges that as we interact with people in this church. Imagine 3,000. And on a very practical level, even Acts chapter 6, you think about Acts chapter 6, what happened? They couldn't even, they had trouble figuring out how to feed everyone. There were a lot of poor widows in the church, and they needed to cover them, how to care for them, and they, had to, they became a, a source of division within the church. Acts chapter 8, and well, it was Acts chapter 4, and as well, there were other chapters, in between chapters, there's all sorts of persecution leading even to the martyrdom of James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. There's the, persecu- there's the martyrdom of Stephen as well. So the church in Jerusalem was experiencing persecution too. And along with that persecution, there was a scattering of the church. People were being chased and fled away. They didn't want Saul to find them. So James, ministering in this church, knew trials, and he writes with pastoral wisdom. It's a very pastoral letter. I wouldn't even lump it in as a pastoral letter. He writes it to a church who's hurting, encountering various trials, and he writes to them this encouragement for the believers. And he wants them to see that this trials are a blessing. Trials can be a blessing from God. 
Second thing we note here is that we can expect to face a variety of trials in our lives. The Christian life, surprisingly, is not about, once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, is that there's, trials just don't simply disappear. I thought that, well, man, once I have Jesus Christ, don't I start living my best life now? You know, it's just perfect, no trials whatsoever, no, no, nothing to discourage me, to, distri- to, uh, to make me to despair. Why do I still encounter trials? Doesn't God love me? Why do I have trials? Well, James here says, don't worry. It's not if you encounter trials, it's when. As believers in Christ, brethren, when you encounter trials. The fact is you will encounter trials and you will encounter a variety of them. These tri- the word trials describes, let me just talk a little about trials. It's actually a key word in this chapter. It's a word that can mean, refer to uh, both, it's a word that means test. It's a test. But it can refer to external trials, things that try us or test us from externally, whether external conflicts, external situations, circumstances, uh, whether uh, externally losing a job, uh, maybe um, uh, uh, so things that, are, that people, people may do to us. Or it can also refer to internal tests. Sometimes this word is translated then into temptation because a test and temptation are pretty close. There's a distinction uh, the temptation is where we become involved, but inwardly there's a temptation. There's a temptation to either trust God or not trust God, to obey God or not obey God. In the, it's this word test. As long as we continue living in a fallen world, we, will not, we, will, we can always expect to face trials. It's not if, it's when. In fact, this word encounter is a very good picture. It, it's a word picture. It actually kind of describes basically just kind of falling into something, like tripping and kind of over something. You know, you're walking along my house and you kind of, I got some stones that are kind of uneven. Sometimes I just kind of, ooh, ooh, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't plan to do it. I just kind of end up tripping over it, right? It's used actually in Luke chapter 10 of the, by Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan where the, the man who was, who was walking on a journey, he fell into the hand of robbers. He just kind of, he didn't plan for it. It just happened. That's the wonderful thing, that's, or that's the curious thing about trials is that you can't plan for them, you know. I wish we could plan for trials. Oh, I think I want to schedule a trial during summer vacation because that will be better. Or, I'll, oh, I wish trials would just be scheduled for the weekends when I'm a little more uh, in strengthened for that. Ah, oh, but trials come all times. It's always, it almost always inconvenient. As they come upon us unexpected. There's a variety of trials that we can face, whether it's persecution for their faith. And that's, that's certainly something that drew the, the church, uh, the recipients of James' letter, these Jewish believers that were in the diaspora, would have experienced. They were, in fact, many of them were brought into captivity. Many of them had been caught, cast out because of persecution. But James doesn't talk much about persecution in this book. So that may not, and since he says a variety of trials, that may not be the only trial he's thinking about. He's probably thinking really of the variety of trials that these Jewish believers might have faced. In fact, if there's any one trial that the Jewish believers face, which James writes about the most, is that he wrote about their poverty, that they were poor, and all that which is related to being poor, being without power, without means, without resources, oftentimes leading to unfair treatment by the wealthy, oftentimes being cheated of wages, 
by the masters. But James also talks about other trials, trials such as sickness, disease, illness. He talks about having conflicts with others, not getting along. In life, we have all sorts of trials, not just in those days, but in our days as well. In this room, I look around, I looked around first service, I was blown away by just the trials that I saw simply in the room around me. I was overwhelmed with pastoral care. I look around this room, I see people that have gone through various trials. Trials greater than I've gone through. And I could imagine that you are hurting in the midst of your trials. But that, this is living in a fallen world. We all encounter various trials. And that is to be expected. There are those who are wrestling with sickness, unemployment, underemployment, poverty, singleness, infertility, marriage conflicts, work conflicts, loss of loved ones, the whole gamut of trials and more. And we don't want to discount these trials and what they cause us to feel as human beings. We certainly do feel pain. We feel sorrow. We feel despair, discouragement at times. It's normal to feel those things. But at the same time, we who have faith in Jesus Christ also seek to ask God, how does he wish us to respond? That leads us to our third observation, that God, and through James, commands us to find joy in the midst of trial. He says, Consider it all joy. And it's significant because it doesn't say rejoice in your trials, but consider it the fact that you're going through trials, all joy. There's a slight distinction. You know, I don't rejoice that you're going through an illness. I don't rejoice that you're going, that you're having conflict, marital conflicts. I don't rejoice that you lost your loved one. Those are the effects of sin on our world. But as believers in Christ, we are commanded to consider that as we go through these trials, these variety of trials, that we consider them, consider all that, these circumstances, as a source of joy for us. That there is a joy that we can find in the midst of trials. James, by the way, isn't the only one who taught this. Paul, which we read in our uh, beginning passage, call to worship, he tells us to, re- he writes, we also exult in our tribulation. We exult, we rejoice in our tribulation. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 1, 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. But Peter and Paul and James, as they write about the joy that we can find in the midst of trials, are all simply remembering what Christ himself said. For Christ wrote or said, according to Matthew in Matthew 5, 11 to 12, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. 
Jesus tells us here that we can rejoice even as we are being persecuted because there is a something that is good that it will happen. There's a reward. There's a result that will happen through trials in persecution that is great. And that's what James gets at in the next verse as well. And it leads us to the second point. That is, there is a cause for joy in trials. It's not necessarily the trials themselves that are, this re- that, are, that are what we give praise or find joy in. But, they, that they're, but in the midst of them, in these circumstances, we can find a cause for joy. And that's from point number two. A cause for joy in trials. Verse three, James continues to write, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. This verse begins with a, a, what's called a participle, a verbal participle. And therefore, it modifies the command in verse 2. It explains to us why a Christian can find joy in the midst of trials. Why can we re- rejoice in, tri- in the midst of trials? And jo- James encourages his readers that their joy will result from what they know. Knowing this, this is what you know about trials. What do they know? According to the text, it tells us, they know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In fact, this is what we know, that every trial is a means by which God produces endurance through the testing of our faith. That joy, why we rejoice, why can we rejoice in the midst of trials is because there is actually, trials have a way of testing our faith. It's a test of our faith in Christ, of our faith in God. Faith here is the first time we find the word faith in this book, and it's a key word in the book. Since we're, our theme is a faith that works. But faith, although is an, primarily an inward disposition of one's heart, mind, and soul, it's an inward thing. It's a faith that, that inwardly is a trust in God's, in God's character, in the confidence that he is trustworthy. And so therefore we trust in what his word says. For James, James particularly brings out that this faith that is internal also is external. It's a, it's a living faith, a living faith that will then affect how we live in this life, how we respond. So when we face trials, our faith that's being tested won't just be inward, won't only respond r- rightly inwardly, but it will respond rightly outwardly. It will respond in a manifestation of joy in the midst of trials because we know this testing of faith shows us, will reveal that our faith is alive. It will produce endurance. This word testing is significant. Uh, it's only found two places in, in the New Testament. And I love the other passage, and that's 1 Peter 1, 6-7. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, the Apostle Peter uses this very same word, testing, here, and, it's very, and he fills in the picture of this word. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. There's that same phrase. So that the proof of your faith, that word proof is our identical word for testing here. It's the same word, testing, proof. So you could put the word testing in there. So that the testing of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this testing is a, a court that, because of Peter, what he writes, is, becomes a picture for us. Peter sees testing like how, of faith, like how we know that gold is genuine. How do you know that when someone gives you gold, you know, oh, this is pure 24-karat gold? How do you know it's not fool's gold? 
You test back in the old, I don't know how they do it these days, but back in the old days, they would put test it by fire. They would put it under heat. They would apply an extreme amount of heat, so that, therefore the heat would burn off whatever is not gold in there, burning off the impurities, and leaving whatever's left, though probably in liquid form, melted form, is pure gold. In the same way, God uses trials like a fire, like a flame. And he uses it in our lives to test and purify our faith. And so that, how do we know our faith is genuine? When we go through trials, which is like a flame, it then produces, purifies us, and our faith will result, what it, when it goes through trials, what is left, what do we see? Faith produces endurance. The testing of faith produces endurance. That how we know our faith is genuine? We see that we endure in faith, in our testing. Our trials then serve as the fire by which faith is tested and proven to be genuine. God uses your trials. Every trial in your life, God is using it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's using it to refine your faith. To cause you to see how pure that it is. So this testing of faith produces this endurance. Secondly, we note here in this verse that, or in verse 4, or in verse 3, I'm sorry, that when our faith is tested by trials, it produces endurance. Other translations use perseverance or steadfastness or even the word patience. I don't think I like perseverance or endurance best. The word is a good, another picture word. It actually just literally could be translated as remaining under. When you go through trials, doesn't it feel like a weight, like a burden, like a bag, heavy bag you're carrying? That's what a trial is. It's like a burden. But as you're going through trials, our response is generally is like, I just want to throw it away. I just want to get rid of it. I want to get out of here. I don't want to keep carrying this weight. But instead, God says here in his word, that when we encounter various trials, then let, it, let this testing of our faith, let this trial produce endurance. Let us in persevere. A genuine faith, when tested by trials, will abide, will remain. It will go stronger. Now those who lack genuine faith, when tested by trials, will not endure. They'll run away. They'll fall away from God. They'll flee. They may curse God. The greatest example even of, of a genuine faith that was tested by trials was that of Job. Everybody knows the story of Job, how he lost everything. But yet he maintained his faith in the Lord. He did not curse God, but he maintained his trust in him. Jesus teaches a similar truth in the parable of the sower. He talked about the various soils that exist in the, in the world in the people's hearts, and one soil is the rocky soil. Where seed was sown, it might take root initially, it might grow up a little bit, it looks great, but because there's rocky soil, there's no, no depth for a firm root, when affliction or persecutions arise, that person falls away because they never had any root in Christ. That's Matthew 13, 20 and 21. Genuine faith, when tested, will endure. It will keep on trusting the Lord. When faith, the people of God, when you are tested, it will cause you to run to God, not to run away from him. 
It will cause you to cry out to him even more, not to curse him. It will make you broken, broken, not bitter. Now, the reason, then, that Christians can find joy in the midst of trials is because the Lord uses our tests, our trials, as a test, a test of our faith, and that testing of our faith produces endurance and perseverance in our lives. We mentioned in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, which we read earlier, Paul acknowledges this very same truth. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And that's our identical word as endurance translated here. When I was a freshman in high school, I probably told this story many times, I uh, went out and tried, you know, cross country. And cross country was uh, kind of fascinating. Uh, you run, when you run a cross country race, you know, when you compete with other schools, how many miles is it about? Two and a half, three, maybe four, right? So why don't they just kind of train us by running two and a half, three miles, just I'll say three miles, around the track all the time? Why don't they do that? Why, why on every Wednesday do they make me run 11 to 14 miles? I only need to run three. Why 11? Why 14? Why run around the whole Lake Washington? That's crazy. I'm cross country, not marathon runner. And then why, why on Tuesdays do we got to sprint back and forth in the football field 100 yards each time, back and forth 20 times? That's not cross country. That's just sprinting. I'm not a, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a sprinter. Because why? Because as we, those, the, the, when we run the long races, it creates, it causes our muscles to be trained to endure the straining as we run. And as I, when I run 11 miles, 13 miles, it makes three miles seem like nothing, right? And that's what happens. So that I can run with greater endurance of three miles. It will be like nothing to me. And when I sprint those 20 times across the field back and forth, uh, it came to me, they're called suicide something runs, something like that. And it, it did feel like suicide. <laughs> it creates in me the ability, the strength to be able to, when I get to this finish line and there's like five of us running towards the finish line, I can sprint all the way quickly to the end so I can, you know, place 13th instead of, you know, 12th. Or 14th of the bunch. Now, the same thing goes for trials in our life. God gives the trials to produce in us endurance. And the wonderful, why we can find joy in them is that though it's, it's not nice, it's not a joyful thing to be in the midst of trials, okay? I, I don't want us to confuse that. That is, that's what James is teaching us. But we can understand that when in the midst of trials, it produces endurance, a learning to trust in God so that it prepares us for the next trial. The next trial, because it's not like once you have a trial, or once you finish your test, is there going to be any more tests? Yeah, there's going to be another one next week. Same with trials. You go through one trial, you finish, whew, thank God, no more trials in my life. No, remember the song? When trials are through, uh, you're finished, you're at home, you're with the Lord. As long as you're in this world, there's still going to be trials. And so each trial causes us to learn endurance, to learn to trust God more, our faith to be strengthened so that we're ready for the next one. And that one, when we endure, we're ready to come prepared for the next one. Anybody who's kind of, uh, you know, made 30, 40 years, you've been a Christian for a while, uh, some of you older folks in here, just if you would, and oh, those of you younger as well, if you just simply take time and think about, you can't think of all the trials, but think of all the major trials in your life. 
Think about all the major trials. The challenges, the difficult times in your life. And when you think about those trials, beginning from when you got saved to today, just trace it. I tried to do it this week. I just traced and I wrote down kind of thing, well, mentally wrote down, the trials that I had faced. And I started to see how God used that first, those early trials to prepare me for the next trial and the next trial and the next trial. And the trials that I'm facing now are preparing me for whatever trials are coming next. And I can find joy in that. But as we encounter various trials from beginning to end, let us trust the Lord. Let's find, we can find joy in them because we know that God is using them to produce endurance. To reflect as he tests our faith. There's a third and final then, leads us to the third and final observation. And that is the completion of joy in trials. The completion of joy in trials. Verse 4 reads, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, we see here that, we read in verse 3 that endurance is a result or the produce of testing of faith. It is only an immediate result. It's the immediate result of testing of our faith. But it is not the ultimate result. That there is actually something else that is coming. Endurance is simply a means to an end. Let endurance have its perfect result. James, in fact, here is using a second command that's so important. He's using a second imperative that is let endurance have its perfect result. Literally, it's let endurance have its perfect work. That this endurance that we have, this testing of faith, is working. It's, and it's doing some perfect work in our life, whatever that perfect work might be. Our ESV translated says, let steadfastness have its full effect in our lives. NIV has perseverance must finish its work. The whole idea is that, yes, as we're going through trials and it produces endurance, that helps us for the next trials, but all this endurance has even something else that it's working towards. And that work is a perfect result. What does it mean? Does it mean that it will bring us to the place where we become perfect without sin? And though certainly that is true, we, we will one day be glorified. But I think the tense here, just so honestly, even that this is a present reality, tells us this is not what Paul, James is thinking about. In fact, this word perfect sometimes means perfect without sin, without blemish. But more often than not, the majority of times, it simply means complete or mature. The idea is something that describes when something attains the very end or purpose for which it was designed. When it attains the end or purpose for which you were created. There's an ultimate work that endurance is designed to accomplish in the life of the believer, in you and me. And this command that we find here, to let endurance have its perfect result, is in essence then a command to simply keep enduring so that it will produce what God intends in our lives. That God intends to use trials to accomplish in our lives. The blessings of going through trials and tests of our faith come, though, only to those who respond rightly. Those who, in obedience, first of all, begin to consider it all joy. That we can see God's hand with the eyes of faith. That we would endure, remain under the trials, and not run away from God, not curse God, but trust in him. And what is this perfect result? James elaborates in the rest of this verse. He uses three words, in fact, to describe what is this perfect result. 
They are the word perfect, complete, and the word lacking in nothing, or the phrase lacking in nothing. The first word is what God is doing through our trials is that he makes us so that we can be perfect. Again, this is an identical word. It's the same word that means that we would attain the end or the purpose for which we were designed or which we were saved or created for. Again, sinless perfection is not meant here. James would later on say in James chapter 3, verse 2, that for we all stumble in many ways, acknowledging that we still sin. The idea here is rather that of Christian maturity, is that we are mature in our faith in Christ. That we are not, as we'll see in the next, uh, the next pas- passage, we're not double-minded. We're not easily cast about when we go through trials. And, oh, enter the world whenever we face trials. Oh, no, God, what you doing? Uh, every time we're questioning God. But it's a steadfast faith in the Lord. We become mature. Mature people never, generally don't get, don't get uh, flustered by the things that go on in their life because they've seen a lot more. They've seen difficult trials. They know God works through them, and they have a stronger faith in the Lord. Not only then does God, through endurance, create, makes us perfect, so that we may be perfect, but also so that we may be complete. This word complete is a synonym of perfect, but it describes the wholeness that we have, that we don't have any defects. A complete Christian, we might say, is simply one who functions as he or she is designed to, by God. That you're whole, that you have all that you need. And that's why the third description, which is another sim, a very synonymous, lacking in nothing. When you're mature, when you're complete, as a Christian, you lack nothing. The Christian that endures, matures in their faith, grows complete, and lacks for no spiritual or moral uh, virtues as they live the Christian life. That they know they, they have faith in Christ, that they, can, they have strength and wisdom from God, that they know that they can endure with his strength. All these things are which, what God is accomplishing in us through our endurance under trials. It's what he's working in us. If we could summarize these three things, it is simply this, that the perfect result is Christ-likeness. It's maturity in faith in Christ. It's spiritual maturity. That is the ultimate result of trials. It produces endurance. But as we endure under trials, remain under trials, it produces in us a maturity in Christ. To growing towards Christ-likeness. And we understand that that will not happen. Can we fully complete until we are stand before our Lord and Savior? But we are moving in that direction through trials. And we see this affirmed by the Apostle Paul in the Romans passage, in Romans 5. Again, come back to it for a third time. And not only this, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. But look what perseverance brings about. And perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint, because this is what it brings about. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see here, it's not just perseverance that the testing of faith produces. It produces a whole chain of virtues. That when we persevere, it builds our character, Christ-likeness, humility, trust, wisdom. But that proven character 
live both and produce brings about hope. That when we have our when we see God producing in us the characteristics of Christ, it reveals to us, it points us so that we might have more hope in God. That we hope in his promises, that we know that his promises are sure. And when we have this hope in God, it also produces something more, and that is it gives us this sense of assurance. This assurance particularly of God's love. And that's so important for trials, right? Because when we go through trials, and when we start, we're, we, we come, sometimes we're tempted to think, God, why are you allowing this in my life? There are two things you're going to question when you say that. You're either questioning his wisdom and his, or his knowledge, that you don't, that, or, his, or you're questioning whether he's good. And that he loves you. But if we endure under trials, knowing that God loves us, as we endure through trials and our faith is tested, we grow in our understanding that God is working in the midst of our trials. That he's, he works and that says he loved us, we love him, and he works all these things together for the good of those who love him. See, the love of God is so important to understand, and that assurance of God's love for us helps us in the midst of trials. The assurance of even who God is, his sovereignty, as we sung in that song, was so profound. And not only assurance of God's love, but it really is a practical assurance of God's salvation. I ask you, how do you know your faith is genuine? How do you know your faith is not just something your parents taught you? How do you know your faith is not just something that's in your head? Because faith is at, very, at the very heart of it, it is an inward disposition of our mind and soul. How do you know that your faith is just not something that you just do on Sundays and that is it? Faith is shown genuine in many different ways. You get this assurance of salvation you see how you, when you see how we respond to trials. Does it cause you to respond rightly? Does it cause you to endure under them? Does your trust in the Lord increase as a result of trials? Or do you want to just simply run away? The person who doesn't have a genuine faith will run away, will despair, will be discouraged, will be embittered, will curse God. That's, I don't care what you say about your faith. If that's the end result of your response to trials, then you don't have a genuine faith. Because a faith in Christ will result. And that's to say that there are not believers who have fallen away temporarily. But those who are genuine faith will return. They will return that right response to God, to trust in him. So how are you responding to trials in your life, brethren? Do you consider it all joy in the midst of your trials? Or are you embittered? Are you despairing? Are you ready to run away from God? If you have a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, know that you can find joy in the midst of trials because God was using those trials in your life to test your faith, to show you that it's real, that it's genuine, that it's pure 24-karat gold faith. And that when you know that faith, then you know that God loves you. And when you know God loves you, you know that he's going to work this, this thing out. Even if we don't see the end of it. Even when we can't see our, the way of escape, as this word tells us, but it's there. So consider it all joy 
and let endurance have its perfect work in your life. Remain under. Trust in the Lord more. Hold on to him. But I also understand. I want you to not feel bad if you do grow weary. I don't want you to feel bad if you do lose heart. Because I've been there. There have been times when I've grown weary. There are times when I've lost heart. Sometimes we think of probably the greatest example of this is Elijah. And how he lost heart after his great victory against the prophets of Baal. We can all lose heart at times. We can all grow weary at times. Trials can be a burden. It's, it's hard to always reign under. I understand. But when we find ourselves losing heart, growing weary, then I would encourage us to look to Jesus. I think I'll end with this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, we think about the example of Jesus. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's talking about generally here the race that we all run, as, about this race of faith that we've run, that Hebrews 11 just talked about, this trusting in the Lord, which is particularly tested by trials and temptation. But let us run with endurance. Let us endure under why, how, number verse 2, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. It goes back to him. If you don't now believe in Christ, you don't have a faith in him, then all that we said this morning doesn't help you except unless you repent and turn in faith to Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior and Lord. But if you have faith in Christ, then we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, Jesus, even as he gives us power to endure, the endure our trials, himself endured a greater trial than any of us ever could. He endured the cross where he was, bore the sins of all mankind, not just bore the sins, but then he experienced the full wrath, infinite wrath of God for all our sins. He despised the same, sat down at the right hand, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him then, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you growing weary? Are you losing heart in your trials? Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Remember how he endured so that you can endure. That in the midst of your trials, brethren, the variety of them that will come, that though the, your faith is being tested, you will be able to stand. You can stand. You can endure through faith in Christ. Hold on to him. Your stronghold your refuge, your strength. And you will find that you'll be, surprisingly, an endurance that is built up in you that will prepare you for the next trial. And that, the next trial. And the next trial. But all the while, this endurance that is being produced in you is producing a greater thing. It's making you more like Christ. And anything that helps us make us more like Christ is something to find joy in, rejoice in. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for this encouragement, this exhortation to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Knowing, Lord, that you are doing a work in our hearts, that, you're, that, that this testing of our faith produces endurance in us. And that in this life, in the immediate future, it is so beneficial because within it gives us endurance for the next trial and the next trial. And Father, we also give you thanks because we know that the endurance has a perfect result. And as we remain and keep enduring, that we will allow then endurance to accomplish that work that you intended to do that would produce in us and make us more like Christ. You make us perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So that as we, even as we mature in Christ, that you will equip us then to fulfill your great commission. You equip us then to encourage others who may be going through trials as well. And Lord, may you grant us wisdom so that we would not say the wrong things, but in dependence upon you, we would say the appropriate things, that which be wise, that which would be true, that which, which you would use us to speak at the right moment, at that moment, according to the need, a word that gives grace, a word that heals those we speak to. So Lord, help us as a church because we need one another. Although we, our tongues are so, so, can be so terrible at times, meant to glorify you, meant to praise you, and yet so often we inadvertently, unintentionally, we hurt one another by our words. We tear down. Father, help us to wisely apply these words that you taught us like a salve to the souls of not only to our own souls but to the souls of those who hurt around us make us a caring church lord a loving church a heart that learns to have sympathy empathy for those who are hurting a heart like jesus so that we can encourage and Hold one another up as we run this race together. We thank you again for Christ. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior.